0: From the Majjhima, Chulahati Padopamasutta. The three unwholesome, the three poisons are greed, hatred, and delusion. And the world is soaked in, swimming in greed, hatred, and delusion. So we have to examine our own condition. The Buddha recommends that we strive, first of all, to overcome our greed by giving dana, overcoming miserliness by being generous. I remember even when I was already in a monastery in Burma 30 years ago, I watched people coming to offer food. They gave, just like you gave the offerings today, so generously, so openly with your hearts, thinking of malani and remembering dear relatives and friends who have passed away, and offering to those who you have faith in. The generosity that the Buddha prescribes is only the very first aspect of what the mind needs to be able to open to the teaching. This is dana, dana sila, and they really go together. When I first went to Burma, I saw these sumptuous meals being offered. A bit like today. I'm sure that in your own home you don't set out 20 dishes or so. It's really, it's very special. In the monasteries, often when a lot of people come and offer food, and if there's a big gathering of monastics, everybody who comes eats. Everyone. And we always... Share what we have. But I remember the monk chanted the blessing and he said at the end that we share the merits of all our practice with all beings everywhere. My mind froze because I thought I don't have enough merit to share it with everyone. His invitation to share with all beings was staggering. And then I reflected on the generosity of offering the food. So the generosity starts with material generosity. But it graduates to the generosity of sharing any goodness that we have instead of thinking, I want it for myself. We think about all beings in the world and we pass the merits on to all beings. That's a very important point, because the first paragraph is about overcoming the five hindrances. We might think that we don't kill anybody, we don't take anything that isn't given, we don't exploit other people, and we don't utter false speech, and we don't take any intoxicating drinks and drugs which lead to carelessness. This is a good time to reflect. It's like when we chant our rules. If we hear one of the rules being chanted and we think, oh, I've done that, then we have the chance to confess, reflecting, I should desist from that action. Generosity graduates to virtue. If we practice the precepts, this helps us to realize a different level of generosity. And it comes from purification of the mind. It comes from purification of action, how we behave to others, and how we treat ourselves. It comes from purification by speech, so how we speak to other people, but also how do we self-speak? What kind of messages are running through our minds with regard to ourselves. How do you feel? I'm a bad person, I'm a good person, I'm a foolish person, I've done terrible things. You have a lot of guilt, or shame, or fear, or anger. The five precepts, even if we keep only five, or eight, or ten, or three hundred and eleven, These precepts must be used for reflection, not just to recite. And then when the mind becomes more and more pure, it does become more generous. That generosity also graduates to an ability to share all the goodness. If we don't realize the importance of doing that, then yes, at first, when the teacher says, oh, let's all share the merits with everyone, If the heart contracts, then that means that we don't feel yet so good about ourselves. There's still a miserliness with regard even to our own goodness. That means there's more purification to undertake, to practice. And the overcoming of the five hindrances enables us then to be able to share whatever blessing might come to us with everyone sharing your driving ability, taking care of our parents, going out of your way to be kind. It's not just what we shouldn't do. What can I do to train my mind more and more in dana sila, generosity and virtue, the ability to open to others and offer our time, our space, our ability, our energy to be generous with kindness. But how selfish we can become when people don't behave in ways that are pleasant. Just think of that. If someone is says a nasty word, then we start to think nasty thoughts towards them. Because of their... Ignorance because of their suffering. We also are subject to suffering if we don't practice compassion and kindness more and more in every moment. The Buddha created these rules not just to hem us in, but to give us something so solid to stand on that it's a basis for loving kindness and compassion greater than we thought we were capable of. And the critical mind of a human being, even if you might be the most intelligent person in the room, or be a professor, a scholar, an engineer, a business analyst, whatever your skill, but in the most basic day-to-day human interactions, we still can bear grudge and be critical of each other and be mean to ourselves, then how can we be so generous as to share the goodness of our lives with other people, strangers? I didn't read from the Sutta (laughs) about abandoning the five hindrances, the defilements. And then it goes on to talk about the gradual training. But it occurred to me, with the coming of the snow and all the work that's involved with clearing clearing snow, making snowmen or snow nuns or something, and bearing the cold, bearing the cold weather, having to wear more clothes and wear cleats on your boots, there's so much you have to prepare for winter. But I tell you, the winter that we're getting in the world also needs preparation. There's how many billion people? More than six billion people? Close to seven? Scientists have done experiments with rats. Apparently, rats can tolerate each other not too bad when there aren't too many. But when the population increases and the container in which they're kept doesn't increase, they start to be very violent to each other. They can even eat each other. And I think human beings are going to that level of treating each other less. It's more and more, I need my space. Give me my space. The cruelty, has always been there. As long as the world existed, people have been cruel to each other. They've cut off each other's heads. They've thrown babes into the fire. Women have been raped, men have been tortured. These things are not new. But the frequency and intensity and the commonality of it is increasing so much. So is the power of weapons. Imagine people having conversations about tossing a nuclear bomb over at some country without ever realizing what that means. It's just like somebody wanting to have a fist fight. But now instead of a fist fight, it's a nuclear bomb fight. Smash the enemy. Forget about everybody else that greed, hatred, and delusion is so at high frequency that we must, instead of criticizing and hunkering down to protect ourselves, we still have to intensify, but not intensify the critical mind, or intensify the fear, or intensify the self-protection. But we must open our hearts to each other with kindness and compassion, even to the perpetrators of this violence, because we are all connected in this play, in this play of energy. These forces that are swirling affect all of us. The winter of the world is coming. It's here. And we have to be vigilant to rid ourselves of the defilements, in a way that brings us a greater strength to bear the winter, to not be despairing in it, to not be sad by it, to not give up because of it, but to cherish and uphold those noble qualities that are the only chance that we have to be freed from all of this suffering. And that's developing dana sila at these subtle levels of the mind and samadhi panya, which happens and accrues to a human being based on a foundation of boundless dana sila. It's boundless. It's not only to our friends or our mom and dad or the other nuns or the other monks or Buddhists or people of faith, any faith, or people who we admire, but to every kind of person, the most deluded person. The Buddha's teaching is also more and more available than it's ever been. When I was a young lass, you could nearly find a book on Buddhism. You had to scrounge to find the Buddha's teachings. You have to travel thousands of miles to meet a monastic or a very experienced master of meditation. And that's what I did. I had a dream. And I can't go into that now. (laughs) it It was very profound. And I knew that I had to go to India. I had to get there fast. And so I went. I was twenty-two, when I left. So then, yeah, I met a wonderful teacher. Turned my head around. It's like at the end of the suttas it says, what has been turned upside down turned right side up. He really did that for me. But, you see, the preparation for winter is just that. We have to give up our old ideas about how to do things. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we know of nature that is ours. We don't really understand who we are, what we are, how much potential we have for awakening, and how much power we have to lean our minds in the direction of what is true what is benevolent, what is good what is kind, what is compassionate what is wise so yeah going about in the snow you have to wear special shoes and jackets and mufflers and warm mittens and all that other stuff and we have snowshoes for the deep snow. In the same way, we have to put on our dhamma cloak. We have to put on these precepts onto every aspect of our lives. Not just to recite them here, but as we go along in our daily life, is to think, how can I save another human being? How can I save that moth from freezing on the rock. Not just, don't kill the insect, but how do I save it? It's dying. What do I do? How do I practice generosity? Not just using only what people give us. People bring us so much. But it's not the material wealth that we need. It's the spiritual wealth. We try to use it wisely. People come here with so much faith and kindness, and we feed on your kindness. We feed on your generosity. And I notice that eating alms food for 30 years now, it does, it makes you, just like if you live with somebody who's very kind, you end up copying them. So if you didn't come into the monastery very kind, you grow in kindness. You grow in virtue, hopefully. One who doesn't shouldn't stay. But then one shouldn't give up hope, because eventually we might get it. I remember Ajahn Dhamma's mother asking me, back in 96, when I came here to Ottawa for a dhana with my father, and Mrs. Akers, here I was, the Buddhist nun, her son was the Buddhist monk, she said, I want to ask you a question. I was a little nervous. What's she gonna ask? She said, What's the most important thing in the world? And I said, loving kindness. Pure love. Unconditional loving kindness. It's is kind. It's always kind. May we be able not just to abandon the defilements of the mind but develop their opposites. Generosity, contentment, loving kindness, and wisdom. Moving away from ignorance to wisdom. An energetic wish for the goal, for that realization of Nibbana. Not just going through the motions, but energetically striving for that. Not giving in to dullness and delusion, exhaustion. And when we feel anxious is to practice tranquility, serenity, calm in the mind. When there's fear is instead of giving into the fear, see where what does the fear feel like in the body? This reminds me of sitting with Molly in your house. Some five years? Eight years years. we've been here a long time. She was fearless. We all sat in the room, nobody could speak. Because there was nothing to say. What do you say in front of somebody who's just completely present? It was just listening to her breathe. Breathing in, breathing out. So peaceful. She was just so present. Can we arrange the blanket? She smiled. She was so present. So content, so radiant. And so all of us became radiant in front of our own fear. Those people who were in the room that were afraid to come and sit with somebody who was so sick. They lost that. They lost that. To be fearless in front of our fear, is to recognize fear as a sickness. And we want to be well. And we know this is poison, this fear, poisonous state. So we go to that which gives us courage. Loving kindness, just appreciation, gratitude for this one breath. When we feel gratitude of mind, it's impossible to be afraid. How can we fear the breath, or anything beyond the breath, when we feel grateful for it? We'll stop there for today.